This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everybody. Are you glad to be at church? Yes. Me too. Me too. We're going to deal with a subject today that I know rarely comes up in your life. Because you're all wonderful people which means you rarely get accused of anything, right? Yeah, right. So we're going to talk about how we can handle accusations in a healthy way. And uh, so I want to welcome you along on that journey. My name is Ron. have two or three things to talk to you about before we get started. First of all, for those of you who are brand new to New Life, Um, I'm so glad you're at church this morning, and I'm so glad that for whatever reason you chose to come here. As you can tell already, we're going to deal with very practical subjects, and uh, that's our usual and normal process at New Life. And I think you're going to be amazed at how absolutely practical the Bible is at helping us learn how to live life. And so I want to welcome you along on that journey. There's two or three things that we should do to get started. So If you're here all the time, you already know what they are, but if you're brand new, let me walk you through them. The first is this card that says, Start Here. On the back side, I'd like for all of us to pull it out this morning. On the back side, there's a place to put a prayer request. And that's one of the most important parts of this card, and I can tell you right up front that virtually none of us uh, is walking through life, and we have no idea of someone who could use some prayer. So all of us have somebody that could use prayer in our life. So I want to encourage you, at least write a name down there so that we can be praying with you about something either in your life or somebody in your life that you know could really use some prayer. So when you put their name on the back side, make sure you put your name on the front side so we know who we're partnering with in life. And then there's also a place in the middle of the back side that I'll direct you to a little bit later in the teaching because there's some really uh, practical ways that you and I can apply uh, the teaching of this morning. And we, I'm going to guide you through writing that down because if you write it down, you're more likely to do it. You're more likely to remember it. And then you can hang on to that card because at the very end of the service, uh, we'll be passing some baskets and you can put those in the basket so that eventually they get to the right people. Second thing you're going to want to pull out is you're going to want to pull out this half sheet of notes because that will walk you through what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. It is November the 11th. What does that mean today is? Veterans Day. And I I can tell you, we just sang a song about freedom. And if there's ever a country that values freedom, it ought to be the United States, don't you think? And uh, so I know we have several military people here this morning, so... If uh, you're in the military or you're part of a military family, would you stand? I just want to recognize you, and we want to, as a congregation, say thank you, thank you, thank you. The personal freedoms that we enjoy in the United States of America are great. But underneath those personal freedoms... There's a personal freedom that God wants you and me to have that's even deeper and greater. And that's a personal freedom that's available only in Christ. And we're going to explore 
what part of that looks like this morning. Before I get into that, I want to say one other thing. We have a Sunday evening service that happens at 5 o'clock every Sunday evening, and it's a fantastic time. So if there's ever a point in your life where you can't get to church on Sunday morning, I want to encourage you, make that a priority because uh, the same teaching we give on Sunday morning, the same subjects we deal with on Sunday morning, we deal with every Sunday night. And we have a ministry that's working very hard to get fully up to speed, and that's our construction zone ministry. And two or three months ago, we headed into this Sunday evening project. The construction zone had three Sunday morning teams, and they have now expanded from three teams to seven teams. And God's bringing some wonderful people into that ministry. But here's the reason I'm bringing it to all of us. The construction zone needs one more team in order to be fully staffed for Sunday evenings. And we already have families in our church who would prefer to go to the Sunday evening service, but because we're one team short on Sunday evening, they continue to come on Sunday morning, even though they'd prefer to come Sunday evening. So I just want to ask any or all of you to consider joining a construction zone team on Sunday evening. Even if you go to church on Sunday morning, there's nothing that would prevent you from coming back one Sunday night a month and making that a point of real service because we have wonderful young families in our church and our construction zone ministers to kids ages 6 through 11 or 12. So if God would lay that on your heart, then you come and talk to me this morning Instead of being out in the auditor- out in the lobby after church, I'm just going to hang around up here. So I want to give you the opportunity. You won't have to go look me up. I'll be right here. Kevin's going to handle everything out there in the auditorium, so I'm out there in the lobby. So there you go. So that's something for you to think about uh, while I talk to you about what we're going to talk about this morning. Personal accusations. See if you can finish this statement. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt. Who made that up? That must have been an idiot. Do words not hurt us? I'll bet even right now, you can hear certain words in your heart. And they're hurtful words. I remember sitting, now thankfully this hasn't been recently, But I remember sitting in a full-blown elders meeting in a church I used to be at, and I remember hearing one of my closest friends look at me and say, I thought you loved your kids. And now I find out you don't. You just sold out to the world. You know, when you hear something like that, from somebody you love and somebody that up until that point you have always felt safe around and you make a decision that's in the best interest that you believe of your children, what did I do? I enrolled my kids in a public school. And to that particular person, that, that was the same as not loving my children. And he was dead serious. 
You know, I grieved the loss of that friendship because I lost that friendship that day. I grieved the loss of that friendship for almost 10 years. Closest friends at the time. Yeah, sticks and stones can break our bones, but sometimes words go way deeper than bones, don't they? Yeah. So let's talk about that because it's very clear in in the text that we're talking about throughout this entire sermon series called Beyond, it's very clear that, that God says there's a line. And there's two sides of that line that you can live on. And this side of the line is sort of the normal side that we all live on in its life that's got its usual messy stuff. But if we're willing to step on this side of the line, it doesn't mean that we get that, that none of those things happen. But what it does mean is that we're not damaged by the usual and normal stuff that happens in life. That Christ gives us a way to handle what comes our way so that, think about this, imagine how great it would be for you and for me to live and live in such a way that when accusations come against us, that we have a context of freedom in which to handle those accusations so they don't actually damage us. And we don't have to carry them. And we don't have to continually process them. And we don't have to make adjustments in our life all the time. And we don't have to avoid people. It's amazing, but God gives us a way to handle accusations that's far better than smacking the accuser in the face. Because that's what we all feel like doing from time to time. Right? Yeah. There's a healthy way. So what is this beyond life? Well, here's Here's our core question this morning. In fact, before I get to that, you got to know where accusations come from because accusations can actually sneak up on you. Yeah, the, the one that's obvious is the external ones. There are three sources. External uh, accusations you never have to wonder about because usually they're made to your face or at a minimum they're made behind your back and then you hear about them, Correct. But one way or the other, if it's an external accusation, usually it finds its way back to you. But did you know that there's such a thing as internal accusations? In fact, the the problem with internal accusations, if the accusation is made externally, you can just sort of cut off that person and the accusation goes away. It's kind of hard to cut off yourself, however, right? And when you have a voice on the inside of you that continually accuses you, and there are many of us sitting right here this morning that that's our, sort of our usual M.O. For whatever reason, we're born with that negative voice on the inside of us and it's always telling us we're not good enough. It's always telling us we're guilty. It's always telling us we should have done better. It's always telling us we don't measure up. It's always giving us that sort of message. Wow. The third source is the one that empowers the first two. And I call it the down-under source. And no, I'm not taking a pot shot at our friends from Australia and New Zealand. Okay, The down-under is you need to know that it's actually Satan who empowers the first two. He's the mastermind behind it. In fact, 
If you want to write this passage down in your notes, write Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 in the margin of your notes somewhere. Because in Revelation 12, 10, the Bible identifies Satan with this title. He's called the accuser of Christians. That's his job. That's what he does full time. And he doesn't care if he can motivate someone externally to accuse you and, and, and get you distracted in, in, the, in the process of life. And all of a sudden you get more focused on the accusation and it derails you as a parent. It comes in, it affects your marriage, it can affect your job, it can do all sorts of damage in your life if you give it space and you don't handle it properly. Or he'll work on the internal voice on the inside of you. And and he doesn't care as long as he can get you derailed in the journey of life. So our, our core question is, how then can we handle accusations in a healthy way? And And so we're going to go straight to our text because our text this morning out of Romans chapter 8 lays the the foundation of freedom in our life. Because there's some things that you and I need to know foundationally right up front that you and I need to know if we're going to handle accusations in a healthy way. So let me read it to you. Romans chapter 8 verse 31, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? And if you want to know what the wonderful things as these are, then you got to tune in to last Sunday's message that Pastor Kevin gave. So you go look up the podcast because it's wonderful stuff. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Boy, would you just underline that? If God is for us. That's a rhetorical question, right? We know the answer. If God is for us, it doesn't make any difference who's against us. (coughs) Since he did not spare even his own son, gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us everything else? Now look at this next question. Who dares accuse us (coughs) whom God has chosen for his own? No one. But God, for God himself, has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Again, same answer. (coughs) No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. (coughs) In that passage, you already figured out there's actually a lot of questions. But the great thing about the questions is, that the author either answers them for us or they're rhetorical. We already know what the answer is. And there are three great principles, truths, that you and I need to be aware of. And the first one is this. God is proactively for us. God's not neutral about you. God's not neutral about me. And God's not just mildly or passively for me. But God is proactively for for me. And uh, I know that sometimes, even in the, as Kevin was preaching last week, sometimes we question <clears throat> how much is God on our side? But the truth is, if we could look into the heart of God, He is proactively for us. 
And when someone accuses you, if you don't know that God is proactively for you, then it causes you to look at that accusation in a different light. But if you know God is proactively for you, it gives you a foundation of acceptance, of love, and security for you to look at that accusation objectively because you know regardless of what anyone says about you, God is what? God is for you. He's on your side. Secondly, it's important that we would understand that God is greater than our accuser. That's a really important thing for you and me to know. In fact, it should teach us two different things. Take a look. The first one is this. What God thinks is vastly more important than what our accuser thinks. Even if it's right or wrong, it doesn't really make any difference. What God thinks about me is far more important than what anybody else thinks about me. Is that difficult to tune into sometimes, however? Of course, because the person who's accusing me is right here looking me in the face, saying terrible things about me sometimes. Could be my neighbor, could be my co-worker, it could be my parents, could be one of my children, it could be anybody, and I can actually physically hear their voice. That, my friends, is why it's important for you and I to have a foundation of faith. Because what we have to learn to do is to believe what God says more than believing what we hear other people say. That makes sense? That's what faith does. Faith says, in spite of what this person says, I will choose to believe what God says. The second part of, about this, of, of, of what God says, is God's opinion of us and His plans for us will prevail. You have to know that and you have to believe that or you'll get derailed by what other people say because you'll begin to think that what they think of you and what they say about you is going to prevail. And and that will create fear in your heart. But you have to know that what God says about you and what God plans for you will prevail if you don't give up on it. You are the only person in the world that can ever cause you to miss out on God's plan for your life. Your wife can't. Your husband can't. Your kids can't. The neighbors can't. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter what accusation they bring, you are the only person who can walk away from God's plan for your life. And it's Satan's desire that if he can get you distracted by his accusations, that somehow you'll step away from God's plan because you're more interested in trying to answer these accusations or deal with them. Which is why God wants us to know, and he says right up front, if God is for us, what's the rest of it? Who can be against us? What difference does it make? Think of it in terms of football. I know, it's football season. Taking nothing away from Alex Smith. Okay? But if the 49ers could hire God 
to be their quarterback. Would it make any difference who the other, who the other team was? None. <clears throat> because if God is for us, who can be against us? God wouldn't have to be the quarterback. Taking nothing away from Jim Harbaugh. But if the 49ers could hire God to be their coach. Think about that for a minute. If God is a coach, he knows exactly the play the defense has already called. He knows every guy on the other side who has a sprained ankle or whatever else. He knows exactly what the defense is going to do, and he can call a play, and and the defense is just going to go, I don't get it. It's like they know what we're going to do. The truth is, if God's for us, who can be against us? God's plan and his purpose for us is going to prevail. And when we get that, and when we know that, and when we fully believe that, then in some ways it doesn't make any difference what other people say about us. Because we know that no matter what they say, if I tune into God, he prevails. The third thing that the Apostle Paul wants us to know is this. God will spare no expense in setting things right. You know, you don't have to be nearly as defensive, and you don't have to be nearly as offensive, or in some cases offensive, if you recognize that God's going to set it right. You don't have to. doesn't mean there isn't a process you need to take it through, and we're going to talk about that process here in a minute, but it does mean that you don't have to solve it. How do I know that? Because in the passage it says, if God didn't spare his own son, but gave him up willingly for all of us, Could you name something he wouldn't be willing to sacrifice in order to set it right for us? No, friends, if somebody's willing to give up their son, their only son, their perfect son, in order to set things right for you, then you know there's nothing God won't do in order to make it right. Now, again, I want to point you back to last Sunday's sermon because our deal is when the accusation is made at 9 o'clock in the morning, we would like for God to get it resolved by 9.15. Right? Of course. Resolve it now. Just show up on my behalf, God, and blow them out of the water. I'm good with that. That's not how God works. But the truth is, if you and I don't give up on God, then he will solve it at the right time, at the right place, because we also have a tendency to forget that God not only is for us, he actually has a little love for the accuser as well. Correct? And I I know, I'd rather be me than God, because how would you like to be God? And here's this person making an accusation against this person. And what you're going to do is you're going to resolve it in such a way that it's not only good for this person, it's actually good for this one too. Sometimes there's not a whole lot of room to wiggle in there. 
is how to resolve it in such a way that it actually helps both people. And just to be perfectly honest, every one of us in the crowd this morning has not only been the accused, we have also been what? Ah, yes. And when God resolves that situation for the benefit of the person we're accusing, would we also want him to take us into consideration? Of course. So, those are the three things that God says right up front you have to know. And when you believe those things, and you fully believe those things, and you operate in the context of fully believing those things, then it gives you the opportunity to go through what I call a personal proactive process in handling every accusation that comes. And here it is. It's assess, resolve, and release brings health, growth, and peace. That sounds cheesy, doesn't it? I know it rhymes, but I want you to learn it. In fact, I want you to memorize it. So let's read it out loud. Ready? Here we go. Assess, resolve, release brings health, growth, and peace. By the way, do you want to handle accusations in a healthy way? Of course you do. Do you want to grow in the context of handling accusations in a healthy way? Of course you do. And do you want to experience God's peace throughout the whole process? Of course you do. Well, then God says, if you take all the rest of Scripture and you look at the life of Jesus and you look at the lives of the great men and women in the Bible and you look at how they handled accusation, then you recognize this is exactly how they handled it. By the way, the person who received perhaps the greatest accusation of all was Jesus himself. For he was accused of making himself equal with God. Is that a big deal? Yeah. Although he was actually equal with God. He was God in human flesh. But that's a giant accusation. And in fact, that's what he was crucified for. Because he would not deny that. So how did Jesus do that? How did all the great men and women of the Bible do it? Well, they began with assessing. And here's the first thing you need to know. Every accusation needs to be assessed for truth. I know people say, I'll tell you how I deal with accusation. I think those people are idiots and crazy. I never pay any attention to them. Hello. Welcome to the world of denial. I hope you like it. Yeah. You have to assess it for truth. Now, how are you going to assess it for truth? There are three ways you assess an accusation for truth. And I want to challenge you to take every accusation you receive. By the way, some accusations you receive, you can take it through this process in like five seconds. Because the answer is going to be really obvious. Some you need to take longer with. But the first thing you do is this. You have to consult your own spirit. God put a piece of Him inside of you, and it always, or virtually always, resonates with truth. Some people call it their gut. Some people call it their soul. 
Some people call it their spirit, and I'm not going to get into the theological differences between all of those sorts of things, but I can tell you that you have a message receiver on the inside of you, and it tends to resonate with truth. Now, I'll tell you when we struggle with accusation, and that is when there tends to be a little truth in the accusation. You know, it's a little easier for us to handle an accusation when it's 100% true. Because then you just know it's 100% true. But as most accusations come, they could be 10 or 20% true, and they could be, you know, 80 or 90% false, and it bugs us because we can't categorically deny the accusation because it's got a little truth in it. Now, the great thing about the Spirit that God gave you is it has an amazing way of sorting and sifting between what is actually true and what's not actually true. And if you pay attention to it and don't just put it to sleep, it will become an invaluable tool in helping you assess an accusation for truth. But that's not the only thing because your spirit can sometimes be wrong. If you have an internal voice that's continually condemning you, then what you have is you have a spirit that's been trained, an internal spirit that's been trained in the wrong direction. If you grew up in a home where your mom and your dad or your dad were heavily critical of you, then you probably have an internal spirit that, that tends to continually condemn you. And you can't rely on that spirit until you properly train it. It's a good place to begin, but it's not the only source. If you grew up in a church that tended to be very legalistic and tended to work on the guilt motivation a lot, then you probably have an internal spirit that has been trained in the wrong direction by the church you grew up in. I want to encourage you, start with that spirit, but don't end there. There's two things you need to do to help you get your spirit trained in the right direction. And the first one is this. You've got to consult God's Word. Write this, this uh, scripture reference down in your margin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Here's what it says. It says that the Word of God is alive and powerful. And that in some ways it's sharper than a two-edged sword. That sound like good news or bad news? Anytime someone says to me about a two-edged sword, that does not sound good. However, I have been in the operating room, and just before they put me to sleep, I have looked over and I have seen the scalpels that the surgeon is going to use to do the surgery. I would prefer that they be sharp really sharp. I know, that's a nasty thought, isn't it? (laughs) But you have to understand, 2,000 years before you and I lived, God knew all about surgery, and God says that His Word is sharp like a two-edged sword, and it's able to just very carefully knife down into where our motivations reside. And it's able to separate between good motivations and bad motivations. And sometimes it's not what we've done that is bad. It's 
why we did it that wasn't so good. And it's amazing how people pick up on the why. Have you noticed that? Yeah. So consult God's Word. And that means that's one of the most important reasons why, as a Christian, it's important that you know the Bible. It's one of the most important reasons why you should read your Bible every day. Because the more you know about God's Word, the more freedom God's Word has to come into your life and to help you properly process accusation. Then the third thing that you need to do is you need to consult a trusted friend. Now I want you to write these three words in the margin because we all have them, okay? Write the word fan, write the word foe, and write the word friend. You know who our fans are? Our fans are the people that no matter what we do, they think we are fabulous. And as far as they're concerned, no one could ever level an accusation against us that has any truth. Thank God for your fans, but don't believe them. (laughs) Got it? Because if you believe everything they say about yourself, you will believe about what yourself that isn't true. Okay? Now, on the opposite side, we all have foes. And those are people that no matter what we do, they always see the wrong motivation in it. They always believe the worst about us. Okay? Don't believe your foes. Because if you try to make your foes happy, and by the way, if you're a people pleaser, listen up. If you tend to be a people pleaser, you will put far too much credence in what your foes say. And it will steal your peace. You'll spend your whole life trying to make your foes happy. And no matter what you do, they're not going to be. They're foes. And they've chosen to be that. But between your fans and your foes, you have some genuine people in your life who are your friends. And your friends are people who will look you in the eye and say, I love you, but what you did stinks. And I'm sorry you did it. Doesn't change my love for you. But if you're expecting me to give you approval for that, I can't. I believe in you, and I believe you can make it right. And they will give you a wonderful perspective on what you've done. So vitally important. So you consult your spirit, you consult God's word, and you consult a trusted friend, and you have assessed your accusation for truth. And like I said, sometimes... You don't even have to go through all three of those. Sometimes an accusation is so far out there that you can dismiss it. By the way, when you're driving down the road and you make a mistake and the guy next to you blares on his horn, that is an accusation of sorts, correct? I wouldn't suggest that you go to God's Word and find out if, you know, wandering over the white line without your blinker on is, you know, a sin, okay? It's just an honest mistake, okay? Take it through the process. Recognize it right away. That guy's probably not going to be happy with you for the next few minutes, okay? Wave and be nice. Yeah, okay? Number two, every accusation must be resolved in some way. Friends, I want you to know this. You cannot ignore accusation. An ignored accusation does not go away. 
A resolved one does. An ignored accusation will never go away. You have to know that. So once you have assessed it for truth, if there's something you've done that needs to be corrected, go do whatever needs to be corrected. If there's an apology you need to make, go make the apology. If there's something you, you, you need to do by way of restoration, go do whatever it is that you need to do and, and, and resolve it. If there's no truth to it, then the way you resolve it is you just let go of it and recognize that person has a problem. Feel sorry for them. And by the way, praying for your accuser is good for you. It helps you do number three. And number three is you have to release it. You have to let go of it. And by the way, sometimes you have to release it more than once. Have you noticed? You can release it on Monday, and by Tuesday it's back again. Good. But if you've already resolved it, then release it again, and eventually it will go away. You have to release. If you assess, and you resolve, and you release, then the accusation will never harm you. It can only help you. Because for whatever truth is in the accusation, you now have the opportunity to respond to that in a way that makes you a better person and that enables you to grow. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. So assess it. Learn from it. Apologize. Make restitution. Resolve it. That's how you get it resolved. And then it's time to release. Now I want you to know that one of the, one of the the, the toughest things about accusatory words is that they tend to stick. Okay? One of your primary jobs is to unstick them. Because Satan would love to bring them around again and again and again. And I know that some of us sitting right here, you're already hearing the words of your parents or your grandparents just going over and over and over. And you keep playing that tape. That little sound bite. And God says, no, no, no. Assess it. Resolve it. And what's number three? Release. Let go of it. And recognize that you will, in some cases, never, ever make that person happy. It's okay. Because what was one of the freedom principles? What God says and thinks of me is vastly more what important than what that person says. So let's get to some practical application points. Number one, I will store this proactive process where I can readily consult it when I'm accused. Where's the best place to store it? Where? Where? In your memory. Memorize it. What are the three steps? What's number one? Assess. What's number two? Resolve. What's number three? Release. That's not that hard to memorize, is it? So store it. If you need to store it in your Bible where you can get to it, write it out. Put it there. It may, for some of you, depending upon how you drive, maybe on the dash would work for you. Okay? Put it somewhere where you know you can refer to it because as you work through this process, I can tell you it will bring a wonderful freedom in your life. Number two, some of us have been carrying an accusation 
Maybe for weeks. Maybe for days. Maybe for years. And we're just carrying it. There's no way to resolve it. But somehow we just never let go of it. Or maybe we haven't even tried to resolve it. If God's speaking to you about something right now, and you know what it is, and God is saying, it's time for you to take it through this process, then I want to encourage you to respond to Him. Assess it for truth. If you need help with that, consult your spirit. Consult God's Word. Consult a trusted friend. Get proactive about resolving that accusation in the context that God is for you and that God's going to help you with it. If that's you, then check that and, and, and start writing out, this is what I can do. And then number three, we talked about the line. On this side of the line, everybody gets accused and it does harm and damage because you're trying to handle it on your own. On this side of the line, the other side of the line of salvation, there's the whole process of Christ. If you've never stepped over that line, then you don't get access to this beyond life that, as we're talking about this morning, is actually beyond the damage of accusation. I want to encourage you, make that decision even right now, even this morning. I'm going to say a short prayer for us, and then we're going to look at a closing truth that's really powerful. Father, for my friends right here this morning, would you be especially near to those who are dealing with accusations that they've carried for a while? Maybe they're true. Maybe they're not. But the point is they're carrying them. Would you give them grace and strength and power and encouragement right now in their spirit to get proactive about that and to say, this week I resolve it so I don't ever have to carry it again and I can walk in freedom. And Lord, for those who have never made the choice to become a Christian, would you give them the grace to say, today I step over that line so I can begin to live the life that that God has for me. Not the life I can just make on my own, but the life that only Christ can give me. Would you help us to make that choice? I pray in your name. Amen. Make any of those three choices. I want you to check it on the backside of that uh, start here or that connection card uh, so that we can be praying with you about that. And if you have any questions, please don't be at all reticent to call the office and say, hey, I want to talk to a pastor about this because it's our deepest desire to partner with you. Now I want to point us back, as we get ready for communion, I want to point us back to, the, to our text because the Bible said that if God didn't spare his own son, because here's the closing thought or the closing question, take a look at it. What if the accusation is actually true? And friends, there are going to be things that people accuse you of as long as you live. And the unfortunate truth is some of them are going to actually be true. And you can just beat yourself up over them. Or you can accept God's truth. And here's God's truth. God said, I gave my son for you. I know it sounds maybe axiomatic, but I want you to know this. Christ didn't die for the innocent. Who did he die for? He died for the guilty. 
So when, when someone makes an accusation against you and it's actually true, do what you can to resolve it. But in your heart of hearts, know this, God already has provided forgiveness for it. You don't have to be freaked out about it. You don't have to somehow hide behind or try to justify it or make an excuse for it. You can just say, I know, I'm so sorry. And you make it right with them. And then you go to God and you say, God, I know I did what's wrong. But I'm so grateful that Christ didn't die for the innocent. He died for the guilty. And that's me today. And friends, that's what communion is. It's a reminder that Christ died not for the innocent, but for the guilty. And that's us today. So as the trays are passed, I want to encourage you, participate if you want to honor Christ. If you choose not to participate, that's okay. But in this moment of time, as we pass the trays through the audience, and as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup, would you just in your heart of hearts say to Jesus, I'm the guilty. Thank you for dying for me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we eat this now and drink this cup in your honor, we do so remembering that you died for us, the guilty, not the innocent. And we're so grateful that even when we are rightfully accused, that we are at the same time fully forgiven because of what you did for us. We bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.